Perhaps one of the most important questions that can be asked is this, how do you get to heaven, right? Let's just take a look at that. How does one get to heaven? It's a very important question and one that every person has some kind of answer to. That's the thing. There's, if, if someone does believe that there is a heaven, they've got it in their minds a way that they're trying to get there. And they could be wrong about their way, but they have an idea that they're pursuing. A man asked his Sunday school class, how do you get into heaven? He said, if I sold my house and my car and had a big garage sale and gave all my money to the church, would that get me into heaven? I asked the children in my Sunday school class. No, the children said. Right? That's obviously not. That can't be it. If I clean the church, if I told the pastor I was going to come and clean the church, clean the floors and all that, and mowed the yard and, and stood the trees up on the outside when they fall over and all that, kept everything neat and tidy, would that get me into heaven? No, they said. Well, then, if I was kind to everyone in the neighborhood and I made sure like I never kicked the dogs or cats in the neighborhood or anything and, and I was nice to my children and my family, would that get me into heaven? And again, they said, no, that won't do it. That won't do it. Well, how can I get into heaven? And one of the boys in the Sunday school class said, you've got to be dead. <laughs> Well, let's take that angle. <laughs> if you were to die right now <laughs> and stand before God in heaven and he would ask you this, why should I let you into heaven? What would you say? What would your answer be? Your answer to the question greatly affects how you live your life. Your answer to that question does this. It determines the reasons for your desire to do good things, do good works. One of the many philosophies that people have about salvation is that if they do enough good works, then they'll be saved. There's various versions of it, and you're familiar with some of these. I mean, some people have this idea that there's, you know, God has some cosmic scales, and you know, somehow he's going to weigh all your bad deeds with all your good deeds, and if your good deeds kind of you squeak it out and get enough on the good pile, you can get into heaven. And this is kind of the view, honestly, that a lot of people have. If I fill up that side of the account ledger with enough good deeds, that's going to get me into heaven. Well, if you read the Bible, you come to a different understanding, that God's economy of salvation has, has different values and principles when we understand the way salvation is achieved, then and only then we will worship God in spirit and in truth, and we will lift up and exalt Christ in our lives, and we'll be moving forward and doing those things for the right reasons. The Apostle Paul, he's continuing in his letter to the, to the church at Philippi, and he's kind of heading towards the conclusion, and by we know that because he says, finally, brothers. <laughs> and so 
he's, he's heading towards um, the conclusion like a good preacher, he says, finally. And, but before he does, he includes some warnings about false teaching, some incorrect views on salvation. He gives his perspective on how we're to view ourselves, our salvation, and simply knowing Christ. And so Paul gives us the principles and values of the economy of salvation. And I want to take a look at two of those tonight. There are two points in the, this economy of God's salvation. The first one is don't count on yourself. Don't count on yourself. And then the second one tonight is count every gain a loss. So let's, let's look at this. Don't count on yourself. Let's pick it up in Philippians chapter 3, verse 1. It says this. Finally, my brothers, rejoice in the Lord. For me to write the same things to you is not tedious, but for you it is safe. Beware of dogs, beware of evil workers, beware of the mutilation. For we are the circumcision who worship God in the spirit. Rejoice in Christ Jesus and have no confidence in the flesh. Though I also might have confidence in the flesh. If anyone else thinks he may have confidence in the flesh, I more so. Circumcised the eighth day of the stock of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of the Hebrews, concerning the law of Pharisee, concerning zeal, persecuting the church, concerning the righteousness which uh, is in the law, blameless. Paul would tell us tonight in the economy of God's salvation, of our salvation, this, do not count on yourself. If we're going to understand our salvation, then the first thing we need to do is to understand that the sal our salvation that we possess is not of ourselves. We cannot count on ourselves. We couldn't count on it the day we got saved, and there won't be a day going forward that we can count on ourselves in salvation because it's not of ourselves. We cannot count on our background. We can't count on our upbringing. We can't count on our education. We can't count on our position in life or our lack of position. We can't count on anything we do in our lives regarding our salvation. We cannot count on ourselves. This is, of course, nothing new to most of you here tonight. You know this. This is a message that we've heard continually. Salvation is not of ourselves. It's a gift from God. We've studied it all through the Bible, all through the New Testament. If you've studied the Bible, you've heard this message, right? You've studied, you've seen it in Romans. You've seen it in Ephesians. You've seen it in Colossians. You've seen it, you, you've seen it all the way through the, the New Testament. This idea that we can't count of our, on ourselves, we, that, that salvation is not of us. Don't count on yourself. And the, and the reason is, the reason why we keep hearing about it all the way through the word is because we got, we got to get it through our thick heads as much as we've heard it and as much as we know about it. The tendency of man is to think somehow that we've done something, that we've accomplished something, that God is now count, kind of counting in that ledger over there like, you know, hey. He knew I was kind of going to be a good guy. And 
And now we're kind of going to be counting this stuff over in the ledger over here. And so we've got to keep hearing it. And that's the way I believe it kind of goes to the architecture of Scripture. The architecture of Scripture is such that, that God has peppered in the messages in the, the locations and in the ways uh, so that you get this kind of uh, constant rehearsal of the main themes that God wants to get into our heads and into our hearts and into our spirits. And so we hear them over and over again. And if you're around Calvary Chapel circles for very long, you'll, I had one lady come up to, the, come up to me after uh, we, I had been teaching through the Gospel of John. And I, this woman came up to me after the service in Orlando. And she said, and, 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 and no pastor, don't, don't, don't tell the pastor this, okay? Just, just don't. She said, she said to me, you know, it just seems like it's like the same message every week. And I'm like, and I'm like laying down some unbelievable stuff in the Gospel of John. I mean, I'm personally going through like Pink's commentary on the, on the, on the you know, and, and I'm laying down some like, um, and I'm like, I'm, I'm thinking to myself, are you listening on Sunday morning? Because we are laying down some killer stuff. In fact, the Gospel of John study, which was two and a half years we spent in the Gospel of John was kind of the, the precipice for, for kind of putting me into the mindset of writing the, my book. And so it was, it was some really awesome stuff, if I do say so myself. It's God's stuff, <laughs> right? It's, God, it's God's stuff. God's got awesome stuff, right? And, 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 and there's some stuff that he wants us to get into our heads and hearts, and so he keeps bringing it up. Over and over and over again. And I'm always so thankful when I hear one of these messages, like we're hearing tonight, because honestly, we need to all let the pressure be taken on off of us and begin to do the things that God wants us to do for the right reasons, because it's not of us, the salvation that we possess, but we are walking in good works because he has lifted us up, because he saved us, because he set our feet upon a rock. So... No, salvation cannot be worked for, it cannot be purchased, it cannot be gained by prominence or position, it can only be received as a free gift. Now, Paul here, in Philippians chapter 3, he begins, he, well, he says, finally, brothers, and then he begins with an encouragement, and he says, rejoice in the Lord. Rejoice in the Lord. So, so Christian, have joy in the Lord. Have joy in the Lord. And what an awesome privilege it is to come together on a Wednesday night and have the band here, and it's so awesome. Um, I'm really loving this, and, and, and just to come together and just to rejoice in the Lord. And you know what? That's a decision that you have to make, and that's why Paul's saying it like the way he's saying it. He's giving them that encouragement, that exhortation. He's saying, guys, come on, brothers, come on, rejoice in the Lord. And you've got to decide to do that. Your rejoicer isn't going to just rejoice. <laughs> you got to push your rejoice button and say, oh, yeah, I've got a great God. I've got a great salvation that's been given to me. No, and, and no matter what happened today, good or bad, I'm going to rejoice in the Lord. And that's going to immediately, immediately change the dynamic of, of, of your attitude. And so, Christian, tonight, rejoice in the Lord. Rejoice in the Lord. Now, we're, we're not commanded to rejoice in our circumstances. 
We're commanded to give thanks in all things, but we're not commanded to rejoice in our circumstances. We're commanded to rejoice in the Lord in our circumstances. Amen? So we're rejoicing in the Lord. We're giving thanks to the Lord no matter what's happening in our lives. And so the circumstance does not determine it. The, the, the God that we have determines whether or not we have the joy of the Lord, and he wants to pour his joy into our hearts every minute of every day. So rejoice in the Lord. Rejoice in the Lord always. Next, Paul gives a severe warning. He moves from rejoice in the Lord immediately into kind of the other direction, right? Look at it, verse uh, 1 there. He says, finally, brothers, rejoice in the Lord. For me to write the same things to you is not tedious, but for you it is safe. Verse 2, beware of dogs. Beware of evil workers. Beware of the mutilation. So he immediately goes into this warning. Beware of dogs. There it is. See, I knew it was somewhere in the scriptures. I knew, I, I knew it. We were going to find it somewhere. If you look hard enough, you can find what you're looking for in the scripture. No, no, no. <laughs> People know, you know, you know, it's 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 common knowledge now. My my position on animals, and I love animals. I just love them in their habitats, and I love being in my habitat that I have. And um, and, and all you dog lovers, God love you, and and <laughs> praise the Lord, and all that good stuff. Anyways, what's he talking about? What's Paul talking about? He's saying, beware the dogs. Beware of the evil workers beware of the mutilation. What, was, what he's talking about, he's, he's talking about a specific group, the Judaizers, that have come into the churches, they've come in amongst the Christians, and, and they've, set, they've come into the Gentile churches, and they've told the, they're been telling the Gentiles, in order for you to be saved, you first must go back and become a Jew. You never were a Jew. You never were a Jew, you were a Gentile. But you need to get, you need to get with the program, and, and if you want to be saved, you must go back and become a Jew. And it's interesting that we're in this passage tonight because we're going to actually go back to the, our passage for this Saturday night is the exact passage where God institutes the circumcision. And so this tonight is going to parallel very closely with Saturday night, although Saturday night will be more foundational and broader in scope, this specifically is talking about not going back to the old covenant and the physical uh, outer markings of, of, of the older covenant. But So he's saying, no, you don't need to become a, a Jew, a Hebrew, in order to receive the salvation through Jesus Christ. In fact, the message that Paul brings in this passage is if you have accepted Christ as your Lord and Savior and you're in him, that you are the, circum you are the true circumcision, that you are a true Hebrew, that you are a true Jew. In fact, look at that. Look at that verse. Um, let's just continue. Verse 3, for we are the circumcision. He says, beware of these guys who want to make you a Hebrew in the flesh. Verse 3, for we are the circumcision who worship God in the spirit, rejoice in Christ Jesus, and have no confidence in the flesh. So what is Paul saying? He's saying, look, you are the circumcision. You are the people of God. 
You have become the people of God. And you've done that by what Christ has done in your hearts. We'll talk about it Saturday night, so I won't, get, I won't spell it totally out here tonight, but you guys are familiar with the idea of what circumcision is. He, uh, uh, in our chapter in Genesis on Saturday night, we'll be talking about where God is going to ask Abram, Abraham now, he's just changed his name, right, in the first part of the chapter, and the next thing he's going to ask him is to be circumcised and to have everyone in his household circumcised. And what is it? Without getting too graphic, it's a cutting away of flesh. And it becomes a picture in the Bible of literally the work that the Lord does in cutting away the flesh, that part of us that doesn't want to serve God, the part of us that wants to satisfy our own carnal nature. And so what Paul's saying here, we're the, we're the true circumcision because we've been circumcised in our hearts. Not in our flesh, but we've been truly circumcised in our hearts. The flesh has been cut away. And so this is what Paul is encouraging and it's interesting because the Jews referred to Gentiles as dogs, right? The, the dogs, the Gentiles. And here, Paul's kind of turning the tables. And, um, you know, I don't know. You come to a couple of these spots where, you know, there's, there's, I guess there's some name calling in the Bible, you know. He says, you know, beware of the dogs, the ones who want to come out after you. He literally calls them the mutilators, the mutilator. Beware of those that want to mutilate your flesh. God has done a surgery on your heart. There's been a circumcision of your heart. And Christian, has there been a circumcision of your heart? Has the flesh been, been cut away so that you are a person alive in the spirit, ready to serve the Lord, ready to love the Lord, ready to obey his commands, ready to be in his word and love his word and obey his word? And so this is, this is the exhortation. Now, now, Paul closes that section off there. He says, that sentence, he says, and have no confidence in the flesh there at the, at the end of verse three. Have no confidence in the flesh. Verse four, he says, though I, I also might have confidence in the flesh. He's telling us, don't count on yourself. Don't count on anything you can do. Don't count. Don't have no confidence in the flesh. But if anybody could have confidence in the flesh, I could have. Paul's saying, I could have confidence. Why? And then he lists all the reasons why he could have confidence. If anyone else thinks that he may have confidence in the flesh, I more so. And he kind of gives his resume, at least in part. I'm, I was circumcised on the eighth day. I, was from the, I am from the stock of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of the Hebrews. Concerning the law, I was a Pharisee. Concerning zeal, I persecuted the church. Concerning righteousness, which is in the law, blameless. Wow. What a list. But he says, even if all those things are true about you, about me, have no confidence in it. Have no confidence in it, Christian. You are the circumcision if indeed you've come to Christ, if indeed you have been resurrected from the dead in your spirit person, if you've been made alive by Christ, you are 
of the stock of Israel. You are all these things. Amen. <laughs> you are this list in Christ. And so don't go in, go back into the, 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 the physical side and think, now I'm going to do this and check mark off all the boxes, and now I'm going to really truly be accepted. Because God has accepted you in the beloved, in the church. Amen? So he says, don't have any confidence in the flesh. Don't have any confidence in the flesh. There are a lot of people that have confidence in themselves. It's not saying don't have personal confidence. It's not saying don't have, be a confident person concerning your salvation. But I see a lot of people that are confident in themselves, just in general, and that becomes something that prohibits them from truly trusting the Lord for their salvation. And the, the, the reality is that we'll stand before Christ. We'll stand before Christ, and there's this separation, right? The separation parables, Jesus taught three. The wheat and the tares, the good fish and the bad fish, and the sheep and the goats, right? All come before the Lord, and to one group, it's off to this side, and to the other group, it's enter into, into the rest of heaven, right? And so... It's so important that we, that we don't have confidence in our lives for our salvation for, and, and, for, and in any other way but through Christ. And Paul realized this for his own self. And what a transformation in his life to take him from where he was, how he thought, to be able to one day sit in a jail cell and write this? Yeah, he wrote this in jail. He wrote the, the letter of the Philippi, to the Philippians in jail. And he had this to say to them, have no confidence in the flesh, but realize that you're in Christ Jesus. So we're not counting on ourselves for salvation. We're counting on, what are we counting on? We're counting on Jesus Christ. We're counting on the work he did for us on the cross. If, if we could add up all of our credits, who, who would you think? It was put this way. If you could think of the person that, you know, surely they've done a lot of good and surely God looks down upon them and, and you know, who would you say? This was asked to some people. You know, a lot of people might say like, well, Billy Graham. Billy Graham has done so much good. He's preached the gospel to more people than anybody ever. And I don't know if it will ever be broken. It might be. You know, I think Greg Laurie's going give to him, give him a run for his money until he gets to be 95 years old and he's still out there doing Harvest America, <laughs> you know. But even Billy would stand here tonight and say, have no confidence in the flesh. Have no confidence. Put all your trust in Jesus Christ. Now, the second thing Paul says is to, is to count every, the one way you're going to keep this straight in your mind is to understand the, the, how the economy of God's salvation works, and it's this. Count every gain, what you might think of a gain, count it as loss. Let's pick it up, verse 7. Paul says this, but what things were gained to me, 
These I have counted lost for Christ. Yet indeed I also count all things lost. Lost. For the excellence of the knowledge of Christ Jesus, my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things, and count them as rubbish that I may gain Christ. If we're going to understand the economy of salvation, then we must count our gains as losses, Paul says. I count all things a loss but for the excellence of knowing Jesus Christ. I, ca- I count everything a law. I count, it, 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 you might want to put it in the game. You might want to say, hey, let's notch the belt on that one. I did good. I count it all a loss because I'm thankful that I know Jesus. I'm thankful that I have a personal relationship with Jesus. I thank God, for, but for the excellence of knowing Jesus. Christ Jesus, my Lord. Now, how much, you know, can, 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 can you say it better than that? Can, 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 we, can we put a sentence better? Can we, can we, from a literary standpoint, from a communication standpoint, can I write something down that, that communicates that thought more clear than that? But for the excellence, what the excellence of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord, I count everything else a loss. Wow. All the things that made Paul feel like a success, he counted as loss. You know, you really got to think about this. You know, this, this one isn't something that you can just kind of, oh, well, that's nice and good teaching. And oh, okay. you know, you got to sit there and think about Paul. Paul has just lifted all of this stuff. He was, he, concerning the law, he was a Pharisee. You know, he, he, he was everything out. He, he had every, every check, bo- every check boxed, every box checked, right? Every, what did I say? Every box checked, every check boxed. Yeah, he did them both. Yeah, he had it, he had it coming and going in both directions. And, and, and I'm sure that there was a point in Paul's life that he, he felt like, well, I'm a big success. I'm a big success. Can you imagine the day, you know, you turn over to Acts chapter 9. Don't turn there now, but, you know, that's the day that he's literally going with, you know, he's got the papers. He's got the, the affidavits. The, he's got all the, you know, the signed papers, and he's going to be bringing persecution to these Christians. And he is feeling like, oh, man, I've got, you know, he's on a business trip, right? Where are you going, Paul? Well, I'm going to Damascus, and I've got these papers, and we're going to bring these Christians down one way or the other. Feeling good. Boom. <laughs> knocked on his butt, knocked on his behind and just blinded. And oh my goodness, what in the world's going on? You know what it's called? It's called a road to Damascus experience for that reason. Because Paul was on his road to Damascus and that's when Jesus Christ knocked him, knocked him down and said, Paul, Paul, well, Saul, he said, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And, Paul, and Saul said, well, who are you? <laughs> Jesus, you're persecuting me. It's Jesus. And wow, from that day forward, Paul became a brand new person, a brand new man. And now, all these years later, all these years later, he's in a prison cell. He's right into the church of Philippi, and he's telling them, he's saying, I count everything a loss. I count everything in the loss. If it was like you've pulled out a ledger, 
like an accounting ledger, and I guess, you know, I, I, I'm, not, I'm not a pro at this, but I guess there's two sides. There's the, the, the plus side and the negative side, you know? He says, I put everything on the negative side. I put it all on the negative side for what? Uh, over against what? There's one thing in the positive side. There's one thing over there. For the excellence of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. Wow. He goes on. He says, I count, I count it all loss. I count it, I count it loss. And he takes it one step further. He says, I count it as, what does it say here? He counts it as rubbish. The, the word in the Greek is actually much, much stronger. <laughs> but we won't get into that, okay? You know, but it's much stronger in the Greek. It, it, he trash. Refuse. What? Yeah. Well, just recently, Christian and I, I go to the dump all the time now. <laughs> it's a regular part of my routine. I don't know if it's a part of your routine, but it's a part of my routine. In fact, I don't know if they know me over at the Sarno Mount, Mount Melbourne over there. <laughs> But uh, just a couple, it was just about a week ago, uh, Christian and I were there, and, and the first time I took Christian over there, I said, look at this, Christian, this is hell. This is the definition of hell. Why? Because this is where they take everything that no longer can serve a purpose, that no longer serves the purpose for which it was made. And that's exactly what it means to be cast into outer darkness. And what Paul is saying is, all the, all the trash that they take up there, all the trash, and I can't wait to get all that stuff out of my trailer when I get up there. I can't wait to just get this stuff out of here. Just get it off, because I'm getting out of here. It stinks up here, and it's terrible, and I don't want to get you know, my tires popped and nails in my tires and roots and crap. You know, all kinds of, you know, it's just <laughs> stuff on my shoes, my Joseph Aboods. You know, <clears throat> I want to get out of there, right? <clears throat> he says, listen to this. He says, these I have counted lost for Christ. Yes, indeed, I, I also count all things lost for the excellence of the knowledge of Christ Jesus, my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things. Now, you've got to remember, again, I brought it up two or three times now, but he suffered, he's literally in chains. He, suffered, he has suffered the loss of everything. He doesn't even have his freedom at this point. But he counts it all as loss for the excellence of the knowledge of Christ Jesus, his Lord. Wow. For whom I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish that I may gain Christ. When you realize that every success in your life is in comparison, it's not to diminish the successes. I don't think Paul means to diminish the successes. God wants us to be a success. He doesn't want us to be a bozo out here. But in comparison to the successes of our lives, 
it is, a, it, is, it is a loss in comparison to obeying Christ, obeying the gospel, and coming into salvation. Amen? Now, you've got to personalize this, I think. I think you've got to personalize this message. Put it into the context of your life. What could you have confidence in? Or what could you have had confidence in? Maybe you're here tonight and you say, well, I, I, I could have a lot of confidence. I got a lot going for me. You know, I got a lot going for me. Maybe you're here tonight and I got nothing going for me. I just love Jesus. <laughs> okay? I look at my life and there was a time that maybe I could have felt like probably not like up there with Paul, but I could have felt like I got... I got a lot going for me. You know, I, I was brought up in a Christian home. My dad was a pastor. He had a couple Bible college degrees. He pastors a large church, one of the largest in, in the eastern United States at the time. He was even a little bit well-known. He's on the board of the seminary of our denomination. He's known around the country. Wow, Charles, you could just go out there and do this and that and whatever. You got. I even had his name with just a numeral two on the back of it. <laughs> I had a lot of things that I really thought were a big advantage in my own life. But I think what what God will do if you trust him and you listen to him is he'll lead you in a way so that you can't put confidence and trust in the things that you think might be a big advantage to you. And what God did with me is he led me and my wife into completely out of our denomination that we grew up in and he just pulled us out and put us in a, in, a, in a new thing where we didn't know anybody. We didn't have any. We didn't know any of the big wigs. No one knew who we were. We just had to go and trust the Lord and see what God was going to do. And, you know, I think that's what, kind of what God wants to do with us. He wants to put us in a situation where we're just trusting in him. And we're not, we're not, it's not, it's, it's not, a, don't hear me wrong. I'm not saying go out and make it really difficult for yourself. <laughs> no one's saying that. But what I'm, I am saying is listen to the Lord. Let him lead you. He's going to lead you in such a way so that you trust in him. So that your trust is in him, your confidence is in him, you're believing in him, and at the end of the day, when you've done everything that God's called you to do and that he's put your hand to in your life, he's going to bring you right up to the end, and, and, and at that point, you want to be able to say, I, I trusted you, Lord, and I'm trusting you now, and I'm trusting you all the way across the finish line and into eternity. And that is a success. That's a success. Not by measure, amen, not by worldly standards. Not by worldly standards, 
but by the economy of heaven. Amen? Because it's, it's a different economy. Amen? Thank God. Thank God it's a different economy. So we learn how to do a different accounting in, in the church, in the Lord, right? in our faith, because we're counting on, I'll close with this. How many times in the Bible were God's people put in a situation where if you looked at the situation from a purely physical standpoint, you'd say, this is a complete crazy situation. This is never going to work out great for these people. Okay? How many? How many? You just start naming them. Jericho. Gideon. I want you to dwindle this army down to 300 people that know how to kneel and lap up water. In the, you know, I, I, I'm going to put you in, 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 in such... I'm going to put you in a situation where when, this, when God does whatever he's going to do in your life, it's going to be to the credit of the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen? Yes. And uh, so that's it. Have no confidence... Do, do not comp, have confidence in yourself for salvation. And put at all the successes in comparison... To knowing Christ, you put everything else in the lost column. And the excellency is this, knowing the Lord. Knowing the Lord. You can put that, when you wake up in the morning, Christian, what do you get? What, what, I, I wake up in the morning, what have I got going for me today? Well, I know Jesus. <laughs> and I want to know him more today. Amen. And it's going to be a good day. Rejoice in the Lord. Rejoice in the Lord.